So, Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for your word today. Lord, we bless you. We honor you today. Again, we just rejoice in who you are. We thank you for the grace that we'll talk about today. God, you're such a, a wonderful God. What a wonderful, awesome Father you are. Thank you for giving us ears to hear, eyes to see. And Father, as Paul prayed uh, in Ephesians 1 that we learned last week, God, we do pray today for the eyes of our understanding to be open. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, God, to receive your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's get into the word today. Uh, we're, again, we're looking at the, the book of Ephesians. It is a, one of my favorite, uh, favorite chapters uh, not favorite chapters, but favorite books or letters. Really, this is in the letters, but we say that uh, we call them the books of the Bible. And, uh, you know, how many books of the Bible are there? Let's take a little trivia question here. How many books of the Bible are there? 66. How many Old Testament? 39. How many in the New Testament? 27. Good. So there's 66 books in the Bible, but really these are letters uh, to the churches in the New Testament. Uh, Paul wrote uh, the majority of them. And uh, I just, again, just by way of... Uh, of uh, just kind of a trivia thing, uh, just knowing this, that uh, Ephesians is six chapters. It's divided into, uh, it's divided into uh, two different sections, chapters one through three, and then chapters four through six. Chapters one through three deals with uh, the redemption that God brings us. And then uh, chapters three through, f- uh, chapters four, I'm sorry, chapters four through six talk about how those that are redeemed, how that we're supposed to live. And this magnificent Paul, uh, prayer that Paul prayed last week uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through verse 23, again, was just a reflection of God's desire for us, again, that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would understand and have a spirit of wisdom about all of these things that God has done for us. Uh, Paul, again, used the term in him, in whom, in the Lord, in Christ, or any derivative of that. He used it over 160 times in his writings of all of his letters that he wrote to churches. Here in Ephesians, he used that phrase, in him, in whom, in the Lord, in Christ. He used it 36 times just in Ephesians alone. And uh, it is a, it's, a, it's a wonderful truth that if you've never really dug into that, and, and we'll do that. We've done it here in the in past. It's been several years since we've done it, but do a, do a series called In Him Realities, Who You Are in Christ. And uh, it's amazing, and we get a good dose of that, again, here in Ephesians, because, again, like I said, 36 times he refers to that. So, again, something else that we saw very vivid uh, in this book is a contrast between the new life, between the new life that we, that we have, and it's, the new life is a life that's characterized by salvation, by life in the Spirit, by abundant grace, by righteousness, by eternal life. Again, it's contrasted with an old, unregenerated life in Adam. Adam is, you know, Adam was born perfect and he sinned and his sin nature was passed down to all of us. So Adam was the first Adam, was the first man. Jesus was the second Adam and he undid, is that a word, undid, undone? Whatever your preference is, undone or undid uh, the works that, that Satan, I mean not Satan, but that, that Adam, what, he, what all he gave up. And again, that was a life that was characterized by disobedience, sin, condemnation, and death. Chapter 1 last week ended with uh, really just kind of a, uh, a, a thing about Christ, uh, some information there about him. Let me read that to you again. It won't be up on the screen, so just listen to this. And it says, and, and his, again, his being God, and his incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is the same, is the same as the mighty strength that he, he, again, God, exerted when Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is named, 
or every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22 said, and God placed all things under him, again, talking about Christ, under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything uh, for the church, which is his, again, his being Christ, being uh, his body, the fullness of him that fills everything in every way. And that verse reminded me a lot of Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 11, where Paul said in, in his letter to them, he said, and it's the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is that same spirit, that same spirit who rose Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And something we didn't talk about last week, because again, I said, we're just pulling some things out of these studies. There's so much more in these. If we went through verse by verse, sometimes word by word, doing a word study, uh, in verse 18, there's four types of power that was used. Four different Greek words were used for different powers. And we're actually, we see the fifth power mentioned in 19. But all of the power, it was the greatest display of God when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And Paul tells us there in Romans that that same power that God raised, rose Jesus from the dead, it dwells on the inside of us. I'm telling you that, you know, that, you know what? To that, you can go like this. You, you can say, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Or you can go, whoa, 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 I guess that's just the difference between having it here and having it here. <laughs> But honest to God, we don't, sometimes we don't really understand what that means to have that same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead. It dwells in us. It means something to us. It's in us. Thank God for His Word. Amen? You know, Jeremy Camp, anybody heard of a Christian singer by the name of Jeremy Camp? He wrote a song. It's one of my favorite songs that he sings. It's called Same Power. And let me just read you the, the, the lyrics to that song. He says, I can see the waters raging uh, at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of the nations rising. I can walk down the dark and painful road. I face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. And here's what he says. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Christ from the dead or from the grave is the same power that he commands the dead to wake. Lives in us, uh, lives in us, lives in us. We have hope that his promises are true. In his strength, there are nothing that we can do. Yes, we know there is a greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. Greater is he that lives in me. He conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails. We stand in victory. Man, what a great song. Why? Because of who lives on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of us. So again, notice in, in, those, in those verses that I read there from last week, again, notice the, the declarations here, Christ's position in verse 20 and verse 22. says, notice he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We see that in verse 22, verse 22 again. All things are placed under his feet, talking about Christ. And again, also in verse 22, appointed to be the head over all things for the church. So that's Christ. That's his position. That's what he's done for us. Now, chapter 2, what we'll get in today, opens up talking about us. And I like to say this is kind of a snapshot. This is kind of a before and after picture of us. And it's not a very pretty picture. If you're here today and you have a weak stomach, you may want to turn your head or don't listen or something like this because it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty grim picture. Here's what we look like. 
Verse 1 says this, And we and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now again, you can listen to that and say, Oh, that's pretty grim, or you can go... <laughs> it was so bad. I mean, it was a bad picture. Let me read that. Let me read that to you again. But I want to read it to you out of the Message Bible, or the Message Paraphrase. I love the way that, 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 that Eugene Peterson wrote this. He says, "It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live." That's so true. The world doesn't know anything about living, and we're letting it tell us how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. <laughs> I liked it the way he says that. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that we'll learn about today. What an awesome, awesome, awesome God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. You know, there was a story. Uh, it wasn't just a story. It was an incident that happened back in 2010 and is a it was an incident that really caught the world's attention. Anybody remember? It was about uh, 33 Chilean uh, miners that were trapped underground. Do you remember that? Remember that? It, it went on and on. It went on for 69 days. Uh, they were trapped under there. Actually, it was 32 uh, Chileans and one Bolivian was down there. But it was 33 uh, total of all of those. The first 17 days, the first 17 days under there, they, they existed on... Uh, two emergency days of rations. Whenever they would go down the road, they were supposed to take two days extra of rations in case something happened and they couldn't get back up. For 17 days, they existed on that, eating every other day. So after 17 days, they were able to get a hold. There was a special drill that they, they designed and got there quickly, as quickly as they could, and they were able to get some food down to them, and they had the availability to get water down there. But, I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to be trapped 2,300 feet under the ground. I don't even like to be under a blanket, you know, for, for you know, 10 minutes. I, I, <laughs> you know, I think people that, people that, that, that miners, I think that they have to have some kind of a grace to be able to do, to go down and something like that. And people that do skyscrapers that are walking on those beams, you know, and they're bolting those things together, man, I got pictures of Paul up on the roof with me down there holding the ladder for her. I hate heights. <laughs> she don't like him any better than I do, but I, we discussed it and I hate it worse. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have the great pride. This is a little bit, this is a little bit high. I've got this table up here, so I'm pretty good up, up there. It could be pretty bad, isn't that right, Riley? <laughs> but again, think of that 23 days underground. 69, I'm sorry, 2,300 feet, 69 days underground. Listen, there was absolutely nothing. There was absolutely nothing they could do to get out of there. There was nothing. They couldn't stand. They couldn't crawl. They, they, couldn't, they, they just couldn't do it. That's, that's a, I think it's a half a mile. Half a mile under the ground. And again, there's nothing, absolutely nothing that they could do to save themselves. If someone, if someone if someone or some team did not help them from above, they could not have gotten out. I'm telling you, what a great illustration. That's a perfect picture of our salvation. Man, all of us were lost. All of us were helpless. 
hopeless. We were trapped in darkness of our sin, and there's nothing that we could do to save ourselves. But God. Man, I love that verse. Paul is, Paul is wanting the believers to understand this and to get grasp this. And that's again why he prayed, and that was a part of this in him prayer of, of uh, you know, open the eyes of our understanding. God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge. Certainly a part of his prayer. And I'm so glad that Paul didn't, he didn't stop. He didn't put his pen down at the end of verse 3 and said, well, that's the way we are. That's the way that we were. Listen, I think that this really, honest to God, it reveals a major reason why Christians should have great compassion and grace towards people who are still living in sin, who are still walking in transgressions because of their condition. Um, again, listen, listen at that verse again in, in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, that we've all been there before. We've all been there before. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. And I think a pretty good reason for that, how can that be? How can people keep walking in that when they find out what God has done? Because Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. It says, their case in their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's, isn't it amazing sometimes when people, they see things or they hear things, but they still, they just, they just don't listen or they don't believe it or they don't, they, don't, they don't take advantage of it. Again, it's because their eyes, again, have been blinded, have been blinded by, by Satan. You know, you think of a, a great example of this is, uh, anybody ever heard of a, a, an old wicked lady in the Bible named Jezebel? In, uh, it's in 1 Kings, we hear about Jezebel, and her husband was a king, and his name was Ahab. He was a spineless, spineless man. He had, she had to, he was the perfect, he was a perfect man for her because she was so overpowering. She was usurping authority and uh, just an evil, she was an evil, evil woman. And, uh, you know, one day in, in 2 Kings, we see where, uh, the prophet Elijah came up and he challenged the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. He said, I'll tell you what, let's have a contest. You call down, you put your altar, uh, get your ox, get your meat and stuff, put it up on the altar and call down fire from your God wherever he is. If he's come down or come over, you just call him down and then I'll do the same thing and we'll see which God is the God. And then so they do it, they put it up there and they're invoking, they're invoking blah, 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 whatever they say and stuff and getting their, getting their God to call down fire on this thing and, and and uh, Elijah's over there. I can just see him over there with a straw or a toothpick in his mouth. You know, just he's just jeering him on. And uh, in one place, he says, uh, he says, "What's your God? Is he is he on the toilet?" Um, that's the New Living Translation. Your God on the toilet? But he's just saying, "Hey, where is he? What's he doing? Is he asleep? What? what come on, guys!" And they and after a while, they just couldn't do it. And he said, "Okay, my turn." So he comes and he puts he puts his sacrifice on there, and he tells him, he said, "Bring gallons and gallons and gallons of water." And he poured water all over the altar, all over the meat, all in so much water that it ran down into the ditches. And he called down fire from heaven, and God, <laughs> I mean, it was an instant barbecue. And, uh, and the people saw that, and he said, you know, let's kill the, kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And, uh, and they killed them, and Jezebel got wind of that. She heard about that. And again, if you're looking for the truth, and again, this is speaking to people that they hear the truth. She heard about what happened. She heard that God, that Jehovah was the real thing. Her gods do, couldn't do nothing, but she didn't change. In fact, she dug in deeper. 
And sometimes you find people like that that you work with that you've been trying to, you live a a good life in front of them, a a godly life, and you set a good example for them, and you've even witnessed to them, but they still just refuse to kind of dig in. And sometimes they even go a little bit deeper like that. Again, it's the same devil just blinds the minds of people. Listen, here's those people that are without Christ. They're still responsible, though, for their sin. They still got to give an answer for it. You know, God, he gives every human being a measure of light and grace by which uh, they sit to seek God and to escape sin's bondage. But, and respect, um, got to slow down. To, to receive the, the grace to escape the judgment that comes. He gives us that, everybody. And that's the message again that we see here in Paul's letter. And like I said a moment ago, I'm so glad that Paul didn't just stop at verse 3, but he goes on to verse 4, and it starts out, but. But. You know what but is, right? But means forget everything I just said. You're the greatest, you know, you're the greatest, Chris, you're, you're just the greatest individual I've ever seen. But. <laughs> but, but means, oh, boy, what are you going to say now? You know, it's kind of like, you know, when a parent, you know, they're walking in grace and love towards their, towards their child and. And they, and, and, you know, they might tell them something like this, you know, you, you haven't really been doing really good in school. And I know you, I know you can do better. You're not, you're not trying hard enough. And, you know, here at the house, we'd like to see you putting in a little bit more help around the house. You're part of this family and get involved and do your chores and the things that were, that, you know, you could, you could just do better. And then a parent says, but, oh, but now what? But because your mom and I love you in we know you've been wanting a car. We went, go out and look in the driveway. But God. But God. That's what, that's what to me, what Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we were dead in our trespass. We were dead in this. But God, who is grace. Look at this. Look, it says, verse 4 says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, uh, towards us in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. I love verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doings. It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, my works, anybody's works. It's no one so that no one could boast. Man, unless we forget what chapter one was all about, and it said some things in there about our position and where we were, and then what we've learned here already, the first three verses, again, of, of where we were in, in, verse, in verse, uh, chapter two, verse one, again, it says we were all unsaved and spiritually dead. In verse two, we were all under Satan's dominion. Uh, verse three, we were all enslaved to sin. Still also there in verse 3, we're all under God's wrath. We're all under God's condemnation. None of us, there's none of us that could be saved by doing good things. I don't care how far out of your way you went to do something to help someone. That would not save you. The Bible says in uh, Isaiah 64 verse 6, it says that all of our good things, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. I don't care how good of a thing as it is before God and compared to God's goodness, compared to his righteousness, our righteousness is as filthy, dirty rags. Listen, in order to be saved, there must be, there must be, in order to be saved, one must be saved by God's grace. It's the only way 
It's the only way for us to be saved. Again, verse 4 again, God being rich, being so rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, by grace you've been saved. Well, can I just, can I just sit there and just be good and, and not do anything? And can I do that? Can God save me? No. No, listen, again, salvation comes one way by the grace of God and is appropriated, it's appropriated by a response of faith. You know, Jesus did all the work on the cross. There's nothing that you could do to help him. You know, people say, well, there's nothing that Jesus did at all, but there is something that we must do. So we do play a part in it. The part wasn't paying for the salvation or paying for it. It was his blood. Our part is to receive it. We have to receive it. Saving faith is a repentant faith. Saving faith is a repentant faith. Repentance is a free decision on our part. Again, when I say it's a free decision, it's something that it's our free will to receive what God did for us. God will not make us. God didn't predetermine you are going to do this. He predetermined the plan and the way, but we had the will to accept it or not. If you ever hear a definition of saving faith is something just believing God. If you ever hear, let me say that again. If you ever hear a definition of saving faith is, as simply just believing in God or just trusting in God, it is woefully inadequate compared to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John the Baptist, or after John was arrested, that's who he's talking about, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, notice what he said in verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. What does repent mean? Repent means, again, you know, you've seen me illustrate this. Repent means to do a 180 degree turn and go in the opposite direction. It actually means, repent means a change of the mind. We have to have a change of the mind. Again, that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the, by the, changing, uh, the changing of our mind. Faith that, that includes, faith that includes repentance is always a condition of salvation. We must repent. Repent. Change our mind. Change our position. Then we get down to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The meaning here of that word workmanship is the Greek word poma, and it means a special creation. It's where we get our English word poem. You were a workmanship. You are God's created to be God's workmanship. You were his poem. You were his special creation. God created you and I to do good works for him. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? Now listen to that. You, you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. If you choose to obey your fleshly desires, you become a slave to your fleshly desires. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living which leads to righteous living. You know, Bob Dylan, ever heard of old Bob Dylan? He sang a song, you got to serve somebody. And in part of that song, he says, it can be the devil or it can be God, but you got to serve somebody. Listen to this statement here. By creation, every person is a slave. By creation, every person is a slave. Our master is either good or evil, rewarding with life or death, blessing or cursing. Redemption frees us from sin's bondage, but we remain a slave. 
a slave to righteousness. Freedom in Christ does not allow us to do as we please, but to do as He pleases. We are no longer held back by the grips of sin, but free to follow Christ in the power of His Spirit. You know, in the last half of chapter 2, what he's going to talk about is the work of the cross. It's removing the barriers between God and man. But it also talks about removing the barriers of between man and man. You know, we, we say again, our, 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 our vision is to, and our mission statement is to connect people with God. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled by God. And in 2, Chronicles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says that he's given us the ministry now of reconciliation. That we go and we reconcile others. And he also says in that that we reconcile with men. Amen? Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make this statement. Listen to this. There has been, there has been and always will be racial prejudice in the world until Jesus Christ comes. Let me say that again in case you miss it. There always has been and there always will be racial prejudice in the world until Jesus comes. Because it is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. It's a devil problem. In case you didn't know it, the devil is the author of prejudice in the world. The one place, the one place that there is true equality exists is found in Christ. That's the one place that in this world right now it, it, it exists. Listen to what Galatians says. Again, this is Paul writing to the uh, church at Galatia, churches of Galatia. Uh, chapter 3, verse 28. says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. That's racial distinctions. Slave or free, social distinctions. Male or female, sexual distinctions. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are one family with one Father, and He loves all of us the same. Let's read verse 11. Let's read verse 11 through 18. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice that racism existed back in the early church. Listen to what it says in verse 11. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were affectionately called, and I threw in that word affectionately, because I'm sure it was an affectionate little enduring term. Forget that you Gentiles uh, were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been made united with Jesus. You've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far off, away from God, but now, I love that, but now, but now you have been brought near to Him, God, through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when He when in His own body on the cross, He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law that com and the commandments of regulations. He made peace between blacks and whites, I mean Jews and Gentiles, by creating in himself, you caught that, didn't you? By creating in himself one new people from two groups. You realize there's only three groups of people in the world today, right? There's only three groups of people, three people groups. It's the, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. And I'm not talking about the the denomination, the church of God, of course. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups uh, to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news, uh, peace to you Gentiles who were far off, far away from him, and peace to you Jews who were near. Verse 18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. You know, so often what, what causes people, what keeps people from connecting is our differences. Our differences, our traditions, our cultures, in some countries, tribes, nations. Sometimes these differences turn jealousy. They turn into jealousy. They turn into hate, turn into prejudice, where we hate hatred towards other people. In regards to these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians, there were no two groups of people, no two groups of people that were culturally and religiously that could have been further apart than the first century Jews and Gentiles. They were extreme, extreme different. I mean, extremely far apart, polar opposites. There were no two groups of people, no two groups of people, no two groups of people that were, that were that far. In the eyes of the Jews, in the eyes of the Jews who lived in Ephesus, uh, the Gentiles who lived there were worldly. They were ungodly. They were heathens. They, they just, they could not say anything good about them. You know, the worship of Diana there in Ephesus, it permeated the city. And again, as I said last week, it was permeated by, by uh, it was uh, worship. Diana's in her temple was worshiped by sexual orgies, prostitution, fortune telling. You remember uh, Ephesians was, uh, Paul was, when he was in Ephesus, it was here that that girl, slave girl, was walking behind him. And I think who was with him, I don't know if it was Barnabas or, uh, I don't know who was with him, I forget. But we're all going to say, these are, the, these are the men of God. These are men of God. These are men of God. Well, I love that. I appreciate that. But to keep hounding, right? You know, day after day. These are the men of the most high God. And don't you love that voice? These are the men of the most high God. Just on and on and on. And finally, Paul got sick and tired of it. And he turned around. He knew what, what it was from. He knew it was a spirit that was in her. He cast the devil out of her. And all of a sudden, she lost her ability to, to, uh, to read people's fortunes and cost her, her owners big bucks. And so they had Paul arrested, had Paul arrested and, uh, and beaten for affecting, affecting their livelihood. All right, where was it, Paula? Yeah, difference. Okay, yeah. So again, so to the, 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 the Gentiles, to the Jews, they were, they were heathens. And to the Gentiles, the Jewish customs looked like primitive. They were inflexible. Uh, they were just, I mean, they were, they were ruthless. Uh, Paul, in fact, and you can see in Acts chapter 21, Paul was arrested for bringing a Gentile into the temple. And that's when Paul got arrested. He was put in prison, and as he, he wrote several, uh, I think, uh, uh, several, um, several letters from, from that prison in Rome. But again, can you imagine today you bring somebody of a different culture into some, some churches? I guess they still get pretty upset, <laughs> don't you? But again, can you imagine two diverse groups, as diverse as these Jews and Gentiles were in Ephesus, now they're brought together and they're part of the same church. What bound the Ephesians? What bound the, the, the Ephesian Jews with the, the Ephesian uh, Gentiles? What bound them together? I can tell you what it did. The reconciliation made possible by Jesus Christ on the cross. Now they had a common bond. They had a common bond in what Jesus had done for them. And now, not what they had done for Jesus, but what Jesus again had done for them. Look at these, these last remaining verses here in, in, uh, in chapter 2. You guys can come on up if you want to. Verse 19. So then, 
You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple. Now notice that, and we'll come back to that in just a minute, but grows into a temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Again, notice there in, in verse 21, the grows into a holy temple. I don't think for a minute that that phrase was lost on the, the Jews uh, uh, of Ephesus and the, the, the um, Gentiles of Ephesus. The presence of that temple of Diana, again, being a huge temple. It was uh, one of the seven, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world at that time. And for him to talk about a, you are a temple of God. Well, they were a temple that would long after Diana's temple would, would crumble one day, God's temple, us, would still be alive. We are the temple of God. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you not know that you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You have, uh, you have from God, and you are not your own. <clears throat> Scholars believe that there were at least probably about 10,000 Christians living in Ephesus at the time that Paul left. Paul spent about anywhere from two to three years there, and when he left, there was about 10,000 uh, believers there. And the believers would gather together and meet uh, and for special days, special ceremonies and services. They could, they could use their, I told you, there was a massive amphitheater there that would seat, that would house uh, 10,000 people. But it's probably not unlikely that it, it would be very easy to imagine that just like large churches today can oftentimes get splintered into little groups and little cliques. And I could easily see in the church of Ephesus uh, a splinter group of just Jews and a splinter group of just the, the, uh, the Gentile uh, believers. We can easily see that. And perhaps that's why Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that, it, that they are fitted together by one God. They're one building, they're one body, and one household of God. I want to ask you some questions today. In fact, uh, I encourage you on your... If you're on the app, uh, there's a way to save your notes, and you'll always have them with you. Uh, the apps, I think the notes on the, the U version, they disappear, I think, about after six days or so. But you can save these. I want you to make sure if you're using the app today, save these questions because I want you to, to think about them. I'm not going to give you time to think about them today, but you, know, you can even have some, some good lunch discussions over these things, but you'll need these questions. Uh, so again, save these, save these. But here's what the questions are. Number one is this. What divides you? I'm talking about you today. What divides you from other people? What divides you from other people? Second question, there's four questions. Second one is this, what divides you from other believers? What divides you from other believers? Number three is this, what unites you? What unites you with other people, with other believers? And the fourth one is this, which is more important? What divides us or what unites us? Amen. Think about those things as you're thinking about what, what causes me to be divided between this or this or these people or that people and what unites me with them and what's more important, what unites us or what divides us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word today. And we do thank you, God, that you open up the eyes of our understanding. Open our hearts, God. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your great grace. We thank you, God. You didn't just give us grace, God, but you gave us the faith as a gift to receive the grace. We bless you, Father. Thank you today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.